certain pastor was having difficulty with his parking spot at church. The problem was, although there was a sign saying, this space reserved, everybody assumed it was reserved for them. And so that people just parked in it willy-nilly whenever they liked. Obviously, communication was the problem. Uh, more clarity is what's required. So he erected a different sign, um, reserved for pastor only. Do you think that made any difference? No. Well, he thought, well, maybe if the sign was a bit more forceful. And so this time he, he said, he put the sign up which says, thou shalt not park here. Still made no difference at all. Finally, he came up with a cunning plan. And this, this plan, it worked immediately and nobody ever parked in his spot ever again. The sign erected said, the one who parks here preaches a sermon on Sunday morning. Who'd want to ever be a preacher, eh? Today, we're going to be talking about the cost and the reward of preaching the gospel. Sometimes we can be a bit oblivious to the personal effort and the personal cost that is often borne by those in ministry. And today we get a little bit of a glimpse of this in what is quite an emotional passage. Now, I thought I might do the Bible reading myself today because I want to try and get it across just how personal this is for Paul. The Apostle Paul, he, he didn't make a habit out of talking about himself because he had something much more important to talk about. He was always really eager to, to talk about Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. Um, but today, we do get a little glimpse of his personal side and the very real personal cost to Paul in his ministry. Now, we've got 18 verses today, and I counted up in those 18 verses, Paul referred to himself some 42 times, right? And, and yet at no point was this an ego trip for Paul. It's so that we can learn how we can give ourselves away as Paul gives the example of him giving himself away. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the ploughman should plough in the hope and the fresher fresh in the hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, 
Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this in my own will, I have a reward. But if not in my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Wow, uh, is Paul full of himself? Uh, not at all. So let's see what Paul's talking about here. As we've been reading this letter, to, first letter to the Corinthians, which Paul wrote, um, it's been pretty obvious that especially in the first four chapters, it's become obvious to us that the church in Corinth was divided. And there were some in that church who disagreed with Paul's teaching and they were running Paul down. They questioned his authenticity. Right? They, they didn't agree with Paul and so they alleged that he wasn't a real apostle. Really what they were doing was they were questioning his authority. Right? So if we can find something wrong with Paul, then his teaching has no authority over us and we don't have to pay t attention to him. But Paul vehemently de defends himself. He defends his ministry and he defends his calling as that of an apostle. Uh, he could, how was he an apostle? Well, he could personally testify to the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead because he'd met him. He'd seen Jesus when he was blinded on the road to Damascus. But the best evidence that Paul could give them that he was an apostle was the Corinthian church itself. Paul is the one who took the gospel to Corinth. It was Paul and his preaching that converted them. He says, you are the seal of my apostleship. Now, you know what a seal is, don't you? It's, it's like a stamp that they use to stamp into, like they melt some wax and, and stamp it with a seal. It was a sign of authenticity. And he's saying, you are the sign of my authenticity. And in essence, what he's saying is, you know me. I preached the gospel to you. I brought you to Christ. I planted the church. If others question my authenticity, you certainly shouldn't be questioning it because you know me. But even so, there were some there in that church who did question his authenticity. They questioned his authority and it seems that they are questioning his integrity. In verse 3, he says, This is my defence 
to those who would examine me. Now, in the Greek, that's all legal jargon. Uh, the word anakrino, which is translated here as examine me, means to interrogate him, to investigate him, to cross-examine him as if Paul was a criminal on trial for something. It's the same word from which we get our word critic or criticise. And how sad it is that Paul, a preacher of the gospel, was being falsely accused and put in a position where he had to defend himself to his accusers. What was he accused of? Well, his authenticity was questioned, but it seems that maybe one of the accusations that might have been getting levelled at him was that he was just in it for the money. Some churches are, are very generous in providing for those who preach the gospel, uh, but not always. And it seems that the church in Corinth, or at least some there, well, they weren't very generous to Paul. Uh, they were supporting some preachers uh, who came to them, but they didn't support Paul or Barnabas. I guess we can probably assume that they supported the preachers who told them what they wanted to hear. But Paul didn't do that. Paul always told it like it was. Even when his message was unpopular, he would always give the straight-down-the-line message of the gospel. But Paul lays down the principle that those who preach the gospel are entitled to earn their living by preaching the gospel. In verse 6 he says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working from a living? All right? So the principle is that those who preach the gospel are entitled to earn their living by preaching the gospel. God calls all of us to be ministers, right? Let's do a little check to see who's listening. Are there any ministers here in church today? Yeah, God calls all of us to be ministers. We're all ministers for Christ. But God, from the beginning, God has called some to leave behind their jobs and to become preachers of the gospel full-time, unhindered by other work responsibilities. Now, um, because I've been a full-time pastor in another church, and now being in a much smaller church, I find I have to work another job a couple of days a week to pay the bills, I've become very aware of how the added pressures of, of having to work for a living, it does impact on one's ministry. And so I want to apologise to you this morning. If, if you've found that I haven't been able to do everything that you feel a pastor of a church should be doing, I apologise. Um, but I am doing as much as I can. And I am very grateful that the church is able to pay me for two days a week. It's a response to the principle that those who preach the gospel are entitled to earn their living by preaching the gospel. Now, Paul's very clear here in what he's telling us. It's not a privilege that you show to someone who preaches the gospel. It's not a favour that you show. It's a right. And it's a right that he confirms in four ways. Firstly, he appeals to, to human practice and human wisdom, something which has been enshrined in basically every community ever, 
a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. We'd all agree with that, wouldn't we? We certainly do as a community. And he says, like, does a soldier have to fork out for his own provisions when he's, had not, when he's away with the army? Well, of course not. He says, does the one who works in a vineyard not get to eat some of the grapes? Well, of course not. Um, and then he says, you know, doesn't one who looks after the flock get to get some of the milk? Now, let's make that more relevant for our community. I don't think too many of us would look forward to milking the sheep to um, take some of that home for ourselves. Let's use a more local example. Doesn't the one who looks after the sheep get to take a killer home every now and then? Of course they do. That's common occupational order of things. Secondly, he appeals to the Old Testament and to the law of Moses. In, and he takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 25, which says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. And Paul explains, hey, it's not only oxen that God's concerned about here. It's the principle that those who work are paid for their work. Even the Levites who served at the temple and also worked as public servants were paid. That's what the Old Testament tithe was about. The Levites didn't have any land of their own. When all of the land was divided amongst all of the tribes of Israel, the Levites didn't get any. Why not? Because they were going to be employed to work in the temple and to monitor weights and measures and to do other various public services. And so the other tribes, it was their duty to tithe a tenth, a tenth of everything they grew, a tenth of every animal that was born, a tenth of every grain that was grown was given to the Levites. And that was their right. That was their living. And the Levites didn't get away from tithing either. The Levites then tithed from what was given to them. They tithed to the priests who served actually in the temple. And it paid for the upkeep of the temple. And so it was a tithe of a tithe, a tenth of a tenth. And so the principle of being paid for full-time service to God was enshrined in the Old Testament. Thirdly, he appeals to the general practice of the churches. Uh, it was normal for those who were called to full-time ministry to receive a living from those that they ministered to. And fourthly, it was a command of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the disciples that, hey, when you're on mission, just go to one house, eat and drink what's given to you. And Jesus says, for the labourer deserves his wages. So Paul firmly establishes this principle that it is his right as a preacher of the gospel to be provided for by those that he's preaching to. Now, as we read this, we sort of go, okay, so he's laying down this right. What's coming next? I think he might be about to say, so pay up, buddy. You know, you haven't been supporting us. It's time to pay up and you better do it quick before the Lord smites you and turns you and your money into a smouldering pile of ashes on the church's foyer. But that's not what he does. He turns the tables completely. It feels like he's so much full of himself and he's put pumping this through. This is, my, this is our right. This is the right for those who preach the gospel. But then he says, but we haven't made use of this right. And nor do I want to. Wow. He just turns it all on its head. In fact, he says, nor am I writing these things to secure 
any such provision. Now, I'm wondering if any of you were secretly sitting in your seats thinking, oh, those preachers, they love preaching this sort of stuff. It's like, yeah, they just want you to put more in the offering so they can get paid more. And oh, I want you to know I'm not teaching this because I want your money either. I'm teaching this because it's part of the word of the Lord. This is actually a part of the gospel that as a church, we partner with those who preach the gospel by providing for them. But why does Paul, after establishing this right to receive payment for his preaching, and let's face it, he's probably offended a few people as he did so, why did he go through all of that and then choose to give up that right? Why does he choose to give it up? Well, he actually tells us two reasons. Firstly, he tells us that he would endure anything rather than putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, that word obstacle, it literally means cutting up the road to make it more difficult to pass. All right? So in the Greek, that same Greek word is used to describe what a retreating army does to destroy a road so that the pursuing army can't catch up to them. So as they retreat, they take out all the bridges and they, and they break up the mountain passes to hinder the progress of their pursuers. There was a story in the Australian newspaper only this weekend about revealing this World War II plan to blow up the Sydney Harbour Bridge if the Japanese were about to get it, right? This is what it's talking about. It's not just spoil sportism, it's the enemy are gonna be able to make use of this and they're gonna cause us trouble. And so even though the bridge at that stage was only 10 years old and they'd spent a packet on building it, the plans are all there in the archives of where to place the explosives to most effectively blow the bridge up. And so this is what he's talking about. This is the sort of cutting up of the road, the difficulty for the gospel. And Paul is saying, I would endure anything rather than cutting up the road for the gospel. That gets us thinking, well, well how can a preacher getting paid for preaching hinder the gospel of Christ? Well, I can think of three ways. You might be able to think of more, but it is three. The first is if the preacher is so fixated on his earthly rights that he will only preach if he gets paid for doing it. If a preacher will only work for the hours he's paid for, man, that's going to hinder the gospel of Christ a lot. The second way the gospel of Christ is hindered is if the preacher cares so much about his pay packet that he alters what he will or will not preach. Um, not every week, um, but almost every week, as I prepare a message for a Sunday, I, I can't help, but it, it, it comes to me, oh, how's this person going to take this? This is the passage I've got to preach on. This is what needs to be said, but how's this person going to take it? You know, this person, they're going to think that I'm preaching at them. Uh, and if I don't water it down, it's going to really upset this person and we're probably going to have tears in church. And, oh, 
and that person, they're probably going to get really angry and that person might stop giving. And if the preacher is more worried about not offending people so that he can, so that he can protect his pay packet than what he is about being true to the gospel and the message of Christ, the gospel is hindered. And thirdly, payment for preaching can make people suspicious of one's motives. They're just in it for the money. And so Paul would do anything rather than hinder the gospel. He would rather work a second job to pay his own way than for the gospel to be hindered. And in Christian circles, you might have heard the terminology, a tent-making ministry. Well, that's sort of how we work here. I work part-time to help supplement income. Um, well, that's where it comes from. It's from Paul. He was a maker of tents, probably more literally a worker in leather because the tents were made out of skins back then. So that was the first motivation, so that the gospel wouldn't be hindered. His second motivation for not wanting to be paid, I think we can probably best describe it as his thankfulness to Christ. For those who are called to preach the gospel, it's an obligation. It's not a preference. It's an obligation. When I was first started telling people at my workplace that I was going to quit my job and go to Bible college to train to be a pastor, um, after the initial shock and, oh, wow, okay, uh, the general response was, yeah, okay, if that's what you want to do. Yeah, it was like they, if that was what I really wanted to do and that would make me feel really good, then they, yeah, that'd justify any big changes. But then I'd throw them into a state of confusion by saying, yeah, but I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, I really love my job here. I love rural training. At that stage, I was an instructor at the Ag College at Dolby. I, I love rural training. I love working on farms. One day I want to have my own farm and, and that's what I want to do. But the thing is, I know that God has called me away from this and he wants me preaching the gospel. And people who weren't Christians, well, they just couldn't get that. They couldn't get it. You know, they could understand giving up a good job if it enabled me to do something that I really wanted to do. Uh, they could understand selling up, selling our house, uprooting our family and heading off into the city where we didn't want to go if that's what we if it would lead to something really in the future, what we really want to do. They could even get the fact that I was turning down a promotion, that others weren't applying for this job because it was pretty well known at the college, ah, that's the job that Michael will get. And I actually had to say to people, hey, listen, have you applied for that job? And they said, no, I haven't, because that'll be your job. And I said, well, I won't, I won't be here. I, I'm going. You should apply for the job. And that was a real shock to them. They, could, they can get given up something to do something that we really enjoy and we really want to do, but they can't get giving up something to go and do something that we don't want to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I love preaching the gospel. I love preaching the gospel. That's God's call on my life. And I guess my past life is getting more and more in the past. But at the time when God called me, 
It was a thing of obedience, not a thing of wanting to do something. But you see, those who are called to preach the gospel, preaching the gospel isn't a choice. It's not a preference. It's a compulsion. It's a duty. Paul says, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's something that Paul has to do anyway, whether he's paid for it or not. And it's the same for me, whether it's a paid job or not. It makes no difference. I have to keep preaching the gospel. Why? Woe to me if I do not. It's a compulsion. How is Paul's preaching and offering to God if it's already an obligation? Right? If he's obligated to do it, if he has to do it, how is it a gift to God? Well, I'll tell you how he makes it a gift to God. He gives up his right to payment and he does it free of charge as a gift to God. Last week, we learned about giving up our rights for the sake of our brothers or sisters in Christ. And today's reading is Paul's living example to the Corinthian church of how he does it. It's an example of how he gives up his rights for the good of others. Paul surrenders his right for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those who will hear the gospel. In our world, most people stand up for their rights. It's the way our society functions, stand up for your rights and, and ought never give in. That's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of his disciples. Because the way of Christ and the way of those who follow Christ is for us to give up our rights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we want to thank you for those who have preached the gospel. Lord, as we, I guess as we read the reading today, we want to give you thanks for, for the Apostle Paul himself and for the way that he preached the gospel. Um, even when it was unpopular, he, he would continue to preach. Even when those around him didn't support him. Even when those who perhaps should have been closest to him were suspicious of him. Lord, we thank you for his work. Lord, today as we remember the death of Billy Graham, um, I think it'd be fair to say that none of us here would know him personally, but all of us have heard of him because so many of us know people who came to faith through his preaching of the gospel. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for his obedience. And Lord, I just pray for us as a church that we would be a church who continue to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Um, whether we be full-time pastors or whether we, we be one of the many ministers in this congregation, Lord, help us to give up of ourselves so that we can preach the gospel of Christ and so that the gospel of Christ would not be hindered. In Jesus' name, amen.